Hey guys, listen. This week in the city of Boston where I am, they are dedicating a brand new $72 million school facility called the Dearborn STEM Academy. The reason why I'm here is that the mayor of the city has invited me to come back to keynote this event, and I'm elated to do it. Now, let me tell you why he invited me to come back. Eight years ago, it was under my pastoral leadership church called Roxbury Presbyterian Church that uh, was able to convince the city not to close this school, but to dream fresh dreams. I'm elated to be back here in Boston celebrating the work of the church and the fulfillment of those dreams. I share this with you today because Marvette, who will bring the message uh, there at NBCC today, is our lead for transforming communities. And it is our hope that the work of transforming communities in the Bay Area will be as impactful as the work that I'm here celebrating in Boston. Now, Marvette is amazing. She's a graduate of Fuller Theological Seminary. She used to be the teaching pastor at Fully Alive Church, uh, located here in Ridwood City. She met her husband, Eni, uh, a number of years ago in the midst of Hurricane Katrina, helping to people to recover their property and their lives. And she has a fabulous young five-year-old named Andrew. Put your hands together. Get ready to welcome this wonderful woman of God, Marvette. Really, I take it as an honor that Pastor Herman would let me um, have the stage today. So thank you. Um, you know, it was about two months ago, Pastor Herman and I were in a conversation about something totally unrelated. I think we were talking about transforming communities. And uh, he asked me if I would be willing to speak toward the end of August. He asked if, you know, if I would be willing to give a message. And I said, okay, I think, I think that would work. And he told me we were going to be doing this series on the fruit of the Spirit, which I think for if you've been attending, that's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And so he said, you know, we're going to be doing a series on the fruit of the spirit. And I want you to speak on the eighth one. So if you just read that passage and you get to the eighth attribute, that's, that's the sermon I want you to give, the message I want you to give. And so, you know, we continued our conversation and I hung up the phone and this particular verse I memorized as a young child. And so when I hung up the phone, I just, I started counting. And I was like, okay, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And last week was our last one on self-control. And I have to be honest, when I read gentleness, my first thought was, I really wish he had given me one that I'm more familiar with. <laughs> because I don't think anyone has ever accused me of being very gentle. <laughs> I mean, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not really brash. But um, certainly when it comes to my words, I'm a little bit more of those, one of those like, you know, tell it like it is kind of people. Like, not very gentle. Let's put it that way. When I think of someone who's gentle, I think of granny in the rocking chair knitting or something, like or kittens, right? That's what I think of when I think of gentle. It's not, you know, not something I feel that familiar with. In fact, if you asked my husband, he would probably tell you there have been many times in our marriage where I've blurted out something and his response was, ouch. And my thought was, well, 
Don't you just want to know the truth? Don't you just want to know what's real here? Those of you who are laughing <laughs> have experienced this before, right? Like, just you want to know the truth. I grew up in a family of truth tellers. People just tell it like it is. But I realized that didn't come across very gently. So I knew that I was no expert in gentleness and I would have to do some research. So just like anybody might do, I went out to Amazon and I'm like, surely I can order a book on gentleness, right? So I go out and I look and there are like no books on gentleness. I mean, there's nothing. So I said, okay, let me go look um, like at the Christian bookstores, right? So let's go to a Christian bookstore. I'm sure they'll have something. And I found very little on gentleness. So then I decided, well, I'll order some Bible studies on the fruit of the Spirit. Surely they'll have, you know, some content on, the, on gentleness. And I ordered three studies, and they all came, and literally, they skip gentleness. Like, it just pass it by. They, like, combine it with goodness or something like that. Like, they just, like, nobody wants to talk about being gentle. In fact, in our Western culture, I just don't think gentleness is praised, right? Like, people want to be brash and bold and outspoken, right? We want our girls to be fierce. We want our boys, our men to be strong, yet compassionate. But gentle is not something we, we tell people, I want you to grow up to be gentle. It's just, just not something we praise. So I do think when it comes to this particular attribute of the fruit of the Spirit, there's something to be learned because clearly Paul felt like this was important for us to learn. I think it's something we, we do need to recapture a bit, this idea of gentleness. So I think today we're probably going to, to really be learning together. What does it mean to be gentle? So we're going to read two passages here to start us off. One is Galatians 5, 22 and 23 which is what we've been studying over the past few weeks. The other is a passage from John 8. So if you're opening up your Bibles or your iPhones or your, your apps, you can turn to John 8, 1 through 11. So let's stand and read together. The verses will be on the screen. Now for this first one, Many of you should maybe almost have it memorized by now because we've been studying it now for eight weeks. So let's read it out loud together, okay? But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And then I'll read this one to you here. This is from John 8. We're gonna read verses one through 11. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, 
But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word that has the power to transform us. We thank you for just the way that you led just a good example for us to follow. May we learn something from you today. Pray that you'd work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, if you've been attending church, you may have heard many people teach on this passage, right? It's a very common one because there's lots of lessons that can be learned from this particular story. Certainly, this could be a story that Jesus could give about how you treat women and how he thought women should be treated. This could be a story about sin and what we do for people who are broken. It could even be a lesson on corporal punishment, like what Jesus might have thought about that. There's lots of ways that this particular uh, passage could be examined. But in particular today, I want us to focus on the ways that gentleness comes through in this story. I think that we can learn a lot about, about that particular attribute of the fruit in this particular story. So here, you know, at the beginning, it says that Jesus was there teaching. And, you know, this was very common. A rabbi or Jesus, right, would go to the temple and sit and teach. And as people would pass by, they would gather and listen to whoever the teacher was. They would listen to him teaching. And so as Jesus is sitting there, these Pharisees and teachers of the law, you know, they were they were the type of leaders who just kind of went around making sure people were following the rules. And so they bring this woman in, and I can sort of imagine her standing there with maybe only a blanket around her, and her hair is down, and she's looking at the ground, and she won't make eye contact with anyone because she's so embarrassed. And then you have this crowd that is angry and they want to see action. I'm only, I'm pretty sure probably somebody in that crowd knew her name, maybe knew her background, maybe knew her family. So she's completely embarrassed. And, you know, probably some in the crowd felt sympathy, but I'm sure many of them were just disgusted with her and thought she deserved whatever she was, whatever was coming to her. So it's this, you know, kind of very broken scene, truly. But the story is also a story, I think, of missing details. Like, there's all these details missing from it. And one of the immediate details we want to know is, where's the man, right? Where's the man she was caught with? Clearly, if she was in an act, she wasn't alone, right? Where is he? The other thing I like to think about is, 
what kind of people go around like looking for people in this act, right? Like looking through windows of people's houses. It's just strange. Like who does that? Who goes and looks for people in the act? So it just like all kinds of missing details. And people of course want to know what was Jesus writing in the sand, right? Like what, what was he doing down there? Who, what, was he, what was he writing? There's all kinds of theories about what he was potentially writing in the sand. All those details are missing. So we, we kind of have to draw back at what's the wider narrative that's going on here. And we know what the purpose was of bringing this woman here. The author actually tells us that they brought the woman here in order to trap Jesus. And trap him into what? Jesus had developed this reputation. He developed a reputation of liking to hang out with people who were on the fringe of society. He liked to hang out with people who were broken, people who were tax collectors, prostitutes, people who had, you know, diseases, right? People who were not looked upon as the best of society. He wasn't one to hang out with straight-laced rule followers. So they wanted to see Would he give this woman a pass like he had seemingly given all those other people he chose to associate with? Clearly, she was caught in an act. She deserved punishment. Would he give her a pass and not punish her for what she did? So that kind of is the story. They want to see what's he going to do. And Jesus had some choices to make. He could have given a lecture. He could have told a parable, a story, to teach them a lesson. He could have called them out. But I said here there are some lessons to be learned about gentleness in this particular story. And there's three things I want to call out about gentleness. And the first one that I see here in this particular passage is that gentleness is expressed through humility. Gentleness is expressed through humility. Jesus has this posture of gentleness, not only toward the woman, but even toward the crowd. He has a, this, this humility about him. Now, earlier I told you that I tried to find some studies on gentleness, some books on gentleness, and I couldn't really find any. So I just had to go back to scripture and really study. What does gentleness mean? What does the word mean? And just really walk through and try to define gentleness overall. And what I found is this word that Paul uses here in gentleness is used by Jesus in another context. It's actually used in the Sermon on the Mount. If you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, you'll see that there's this list of beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And meek is actually that same word for gentleness. Meek and gentleness, they're interchangeable. And when you really look at gentleness and meekness and you begin to unpack them, I want to give you a biblical definition for gentleness and meekness. A biblical definition is power with reservation, strength under control. That's gentleness. 
Strength under control. It's this image of somebody who has incredible power, but they choose to hold back. They choose to limit the control that they have. You really cannot have gentleness without this deep-rooted sense of humility. And interestingly, gentleness and humility are used throughout Scripture in tandem. And I just want to give you a few examples I found of where these two words appear, like right next to each other. So I'll just read these for you. Um, Colossians 3.12. It says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Ephesians 4.2 is another one that um, Paul speaks to this church at Ephesus and says, always be humble and gentle. And then in Matthew 11.29, Jesus himself says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. You really can't have gentleness without humility. They really do work together. And this gentleness we're challenged with is not weakness. It's not weakness. In fact, you know, gentleness is really, and and humility specifically, is a really hard one to express, especially when you feel like you have a right to be right. Right? When you have a right to be right and you feel like you're in a place to tell it like it is or to speak the truth, it's very hard to be humble in that situation. Certainly those Pharisees, when they brought that woman, they had a right to be right. They knew what she did. She was caught in the act. If you look through scripture, have you ever wondered what made Jesus the most angry? You know, if you've never read the Bible before, I feel like people sometimes outside have this impression that the Bible is full of a bunch of laws and God getting mad at people for breaking those laws. That's kind of, I think, people's impression often of the Bible. And certainly, there are lots of guidelines on how to live there. And God's heart does break when we choose not to follow his direction. But the thing that makes Jesus the most angry were people who were self-righteous. People who had a complete lack of humility. We see him get angry the most at these Pharisees and teachers of the law because they sort of saw themselves as God's appointed judges on the earth. They just went around making sure people were following rules but never turned the mirror on themselves. Right? Jesus was the most angry. You see his anger the most at people who had a complete lack of humility. But gentleness is power with reservation, strength under control. Now definitely there were times when Jesus exerted his power, right? When he came upon the temple and he went to that courtyard and they basically had turned the grounds into a casino, right? There's that time where they're like selling goods and changing the money changers are there and he turns over their tables because he says, you won't turn my father's house into a den of robbers, right? There are times when he does exert his authority, but it's never exerted in the midst of brokenness. And here at that 
crowd with this woman is incredibly an incredibly broken time. He never chooses to exert that kind of authority in that situation. Always goes with this tender humility. Meekness is not weakness. So the work of, you know, becoming humble is definitely something that has to be worked within. It's something that has to be practiced. And if you're looking at this passage and you're thinking, you know, maybe this is something I could work on. Sometimes I have a tendency to have a little Pharisee in me, a little truth-telling in me. I want to give you a practical step of how you might begin to practice humility. And so the practical step I want to give you for this particular area is that to develop a posture of gentleness and humility, serve people. Serve people. Serving people will give you a real good sense of humility. Serve people that aren't like you. A few weeks ago, or actually all through the summer, you may know that our children's and youth ministry has summer serve. And they have, those of us who don't serve on a regular basis, they ask, will you go serve so that the teachers, the regular year-long teachers can have a break? And so for some reason, two or three Sundays, I was put in the infant and toddler room. And I will tell you, there is nothing that can humble you more than trying to soothe you know, an infant that does not belong to you, right? And for some reason, several Sundays, I had these babies of people who was like their first Sunday attending church, right? I didn't know them. And they're like, hi, it's my first Sunday. Here's my six-month-old. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm the substitute, right? That will just, serving people will teach you how to quickly be humble, and it'll help you remember that maybe you don't know it all. Right? Maybe you don't know it all. Serve with the middle schoolers or the high schoolers. Nothing will make you more humble and make you realize you know nothing than serving with somebody in middle school. But I can even make a plug for hospitality, right? For the setup team. All those places could use you to serve alongside them. And even with transforming communities, our Be Rich Fallout Reach is coming. We're getting ready. We're starting actually the preparations for it now. That's where we go out and we serve in some local schools. And so we're making preparations for that now. So I'll just give a plug that if you want to be a part of that, we are willing to take you. But serving, serving will help you develop a posture of humility. Okay, so that's kind of the the first point I want to make with a way to start to develop this attribute of gentleness. The second way that I see gentleness come through in this story is that gentleness is expressed through words. Gentleness is expressed through words. Or maybe I should better say in this story, the lack thereof. Right, the lack thereof. If we go back to this story, you know, here she is, the woman is brought in, And Jesus begins writing in the sand. And everybody wants to know, what does he write? Some people thought he was writing the sins of the people. Maybe he was writing the names of everyone in the crowd. I like to think he was writing the name of the man she was with, right? (laughs) 
whatever his name was, man. <laughs> Where's the man? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That's what he was writing there, the sand. But obviously, you know, Jesus is all-knowing. We see many places in scripture where he's talking to somebody and he already knows their whole story, right? So in this crowd, he would have known everybody's story. So he could have easily said, by the way, you're also an adulterer and you're also a thief. And oh, by the way, you're an incompetent parent. And oh, by the way, you know, you're a terrible, you know, boss your cheating student, right? He could have called them all out in that crowd. He could have used his words just to annihilate the whole crowd and tell them their business. But what did he do? He hardly said anything. All he said was, whoever is without sin, cast the stone. That simple truth was all he needed to say. Really, when it comes to gentleness... Sometimes a lack of words is the best choice that we can make. He was gentle with that crowd. The Bible tells us that one of the most powerful instruments we have is our tongue, and it has the power of life and death. And you know that if you've ever said something you wanted to take back, right? If you've ever spoken something and you just wish you could put those words back in your mouth, you know that that's true. The tongue has the power of life and death. And I think that one of the reasons we don't often applaud gentleness is because we think that if we don't say something, people are going to think we're a doormat. We better speak up or somebody's going to think we're a doormat. They'll walk all over me if I don't speak up and say something. But is that really true? Does it actually make you look like you're in a place of authority if you always speak up? I don't know that that's the case. A couple weeks ago, my family, we were on vacation, and uh, we had a great time away, just a few days down in San Diego. And um, I will tell you, there's nothing like, you know, being in a foreign place and trying to get people to go and do things and corral people that um, will make you learn the value of biting your tongue. That was when you're traveling with family. You learn that value really quick. So that Monday morning, we uh, woke up early. We had to be at the airport by 7, I think. And my son, Andrew, had a cold. I mean, like all night, he had been coughing. And so that morning when he woke up, he wasn't feeling great. But he's one of those kids that just rolls with it. He just, he has a cold. He just keeps going. He's not one to lay around. And so that morning, he was just his normal hyper self. He was, you know, excited to be at the airport. His backpack was on. He was running around. He was bumping people. He was, you know, we get to the security line. And it's like, Andrew, you don't have to take your shoes off. Everybody else has got their shoes off. I'm taking my shoes off, right? Like, he's just wanting to do everything everybody else is doing. And Eni and I are just hard on him. We are like, Andrew, calm down. Andrew, stop bumping people. Andrew, put your shoes on. I mean, we are just like on him. And mind you... <laughs> It's two on one, right? Like, we, we only have one child. And I had to think to myself, oh my, I see like a single mom there with four kids, and they seem to be fine. Why can't we control this one child we have? <laughs> like, right? She's got an infant, and I, like, my son is like bumped 10 people already. So we were just, like, he just was 
in my opinion, super hyper. Um, you know, but he was being normal, right? Normal five-year-old thing. And so we get down to San Diego and we get our rental car and we decide to go to a restaurant and the waiter comes over and she's taking our drink order and he asks for lemonade and waiter goes away and immediately he goes, I want my lemonade. He just starts fussing about it. And I go to turn to him and you can only imagine what I was about to say. I hear this little whisper, gentleness. Because, you know, Pastor Herman gave me this topic like two and a half months ago. So you can only imagine all summer long, I've had this whisper quite a bit. And so as I turn to look at him with this gentleness, I just see him and he's got tears coming down his face. And then I remember, oh, that's right. He's not feeling well. Right? And so I go and comfort him and he's like got a fever and he's just uncomfortable. Right? He's just... He's, he's not feeling good. And he didn't need my words, right? He didn't need a lecture. He didn't need me to tell it the truth like it is. He, he just needed my gentleness. He needed comfort. And so truly, if we're going to embody this gentleness, oftentimes the way toward gentleness is through biting our tongue. It's through just not speaking. The Bible, of course, has a lot to say about use the way that we use our tongue. If you've ever read the book of James, you know it talks all about the way that we are to use our words. And I want to give you a, a specific verse um, from Proverbs that I think is really good. Uh, the, the, the verse says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. A gentle answer deflects anger. This is a really good one to memorize. Write on a post-it note, put it on your phone as the home screen, right? Put on a post-it note on your mirror, in your car, wherever you are, rewrite it in your own words so you get it deep within you. But a gentle answer deflects anger. It's a lesson all of us can learn again and again. And if you just take a look in the New Testament through Paul's letters, you will see that he gives instruction and tells various groups of people that the way to living well in relationships is through the path of gentleness. All through the New Testament, he talks about that, that gentleness is the way to live well. And I'm just gonna give you a few examples. I'm not gonna put each scripture up on the screen. I'll just kind of give you some of the sense of, of of kind of how he tells us to go about this. So in Ephesians 6, 4, he, tells, he says, Fathers, never provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them. Never provoke your children to anger. And I'm sure I could insert mothers in there as well. Never provoke your children to anger. To the husbands in Colossians 3, he says, husbands, love your wives and be gentle. You know, any man can be rough and show his bravado, right? But a gentle man knows strength under control. Strength under control. Remember that definition I gave earlier. And I have to be honest, my husband, Eni, kind of leads in this. Um, he often shows me how to lead with gentle words, my husband is never the Pharisee in our home. That's 
but never him. He's all, he has really taught me a lot about how to just be gentle in the way that I speak, especially when it's in a time of potential brokenness or in a time of potential conflict, right? But a gentle answer can deflect anger. To women, he says that we are to have a gentle spirit. That's in 1 Peter 3. We're to have a gentle spirit. And one more group that Paul addresses is leaders in the church. Specifically in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says that leaders are to respond gently when evil things are said about them. In other words, leaders don't get to retaliate and get even. Being in a place of leadership immediately sets you up for criticism. That's just going to be the way that it is. If you're going to lead, people are going to criticize you. And as Christians, as leaders, we don't get to respond with evil intent and retaliate. It says that we're to respond with a gentle answer. And I don't think that's true just for leaders in the church, right? That can be leaders for anything. If you're leading in your school, if you're leading at your work, if you're leading, as, if you're a coach, right? If you're leading as, in a, any volunteer organization, if you're leading in politics, right? Being a gentle leader and not responding with evil when things are said about you, that really does set you up in a place of authority, And I think it's really timely as I was um, kind of reflecting on this. You know, John McCain passed away just yesterday. And you think about the kind of leader that he was. You know, politics aside, he was a true American hero. And he lived in a way that wasn't retaliatory, right? He forgave the Vietnamese who held him and even went back and forgave his oppressors. Can you imagine Right? He led in this gentle way. Gave us this true example of how to lead with humility. So, you know, it can be, it, it really can be a way, to, a way to lead, even with authority. I think it shows incredible strength, incredible authority to lead by being gentle. No New York Times bestseller is going to tell you that. But if you study good leaders, you're going to see they have this element of gentleness. So I want to give you a practical step for this particular point. To become more gentle with your words, use the pause button. Use the pause button. Pause. Do I have to address my son right now? Do I have to address my daughter right now? Do I have to respond to my spouse right now? Do I have to address this employee right now, this student right now? Or can I pause? And might that give me the opportunity to respond gently? Finally, I think one of the last ways that we see gentleness expressed in this particular story is that gentleness has the power to restore. Gentleness has the power to restore. I want to take one last look at this story from John 8, and I want to go back to the scripture and go back to verse 7 in particular and just remind us kind of of that last 
um, exchange that Jesus has. So starting in verse 7, it says, They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Now what happened as each of the accusers were standing there? All of a sudden you started hearing thump, 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 thump. I think what was happening in that moment with each drop of the rock is that each one of them was recognizing their own brokenness. They were recognizing their own sin. They were each having a recognition that I'm not good enough. I don't have all the answers. I too am a sinner. And eventually, each one of us is gonna come face to face with this where maybe somebody has done something wrong to us, or maybe we feel like somebody is in the wrong and we're the right ones. And we have this opportunity to say, I'm gonna put down the rock. I'm not gonna condemn you or hold it against you any longer. I'm not gonna be the accuser any longer because I too am in need of forgiveness. I too am in need of being set free. Jesus offers gentleness even to the accusers in this story. Oftentimes we just look at the woman who needed forgiveness, but those accusers, they also had this opportunity for restoration and they put down their rocks. And then of course to the woman, I can imagine that as the crowd begins to disperse, she's there, maybe she's sitting by now. And Jesus says to her, where are your accusers? She's like, they're not here. Maybe he helps her up, puts the blanket back around her, around her tighter. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He sets her free. Can you, I mean, just imagine, she's brought in and she thinks, this is the day I die, right? They have stones in their hands ready to throw at her. This is the day I die. And she gets to walk away, set free, nothing held against her. Freedom is this beautiful expression of gentleness that Jesus has with this woman. And it can be the same with all of us. You know, the ultimate expression of gentleness, the ultimate expression of strength under control is Jesus on the cross, right? He had all the power to get off and yet he chose to take that punishment so that both the accusers and the accused could be set free. So as we wrap up today, the last practical step that I want to give to all of us is if you're feeling like one who's the accused, receive God's gentleness. You're forgiven, set free. Receive God's gentleness. And for those of you who feel like maybe you walk in the place of the Pharisee, put down your rock. 
Put down your rock. You don't need to hold that grudge any longer. I'll tell you that in order for us to truly live this fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, in order to really live that, that fruit not only needs to transform us, but it really does need to transform those around us. It's not just for our purpose. It's for the purpose of transforming and restoring lives, for making broken whole. That's the power of the fruit of the Spirit. And so as we close up today, I want you to take out your connection cards. And we always do this as a way to respond to the message. There's a place here that you can respond. And if you want, you can then turn this into the host as you leave. Today, I want to challenge you for our response to the message is I will practice strength under control. I will practice strength under control. Will you stand with me? If you feel like you might want some prayer today, the prayer team will be up front. Of course, as always, there's refreshments at the back. But I want to pray with us all today as we close up, just that God would continue to do this work of using the fruit of the Spirit to transform us. All right? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for being gentle with us. That's who we learn from. We learn from you. We thank you for being gentle with us, for the ways that you restore both the accused and the accusers. Help us, Lord, to walk in humility, to use the pause button, and to receive your gentleness today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.